appreciate each of you taking time out of your schedule to tune in with us as we dive into the Word of God. And we also look at current events, things that are going on in the world. And you'll find as you study the Scripture that for every problem you'll face, there's always an answer according to the Scriptures. There's always a solution to what your problem, what it is you're facing. If you just get in the Word, study the Word, God will always reveal the answer for what you're facing. And tonight, we're wanting to look, I want to look at a few things that I believe will help us, will help you, will help myself, anybody that will take these, these principles, these disciplines, and apply them to their life. And many of you, you this may be like a, 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 what would you call a litmus test or whatever, where you can kind of, kind of see here, oh, I'm doing these. Well, then if you, you're doing these, then you're on the right track. But these are seven spiritual disciplines that I believe if you apply to your life. Uh, now, notice the key word is discipline. Uh, it, it's just like, uh, you know, I, I've been going to the gym uh, early in the morning. We, my, my wife and I go about 5, 5.30 in the morning. Um, but over the past couple of days, we, we've had a sinus cold. Uh, so we didn't go work out, you know, trying to run and exercise when you uh, all stopped up. Uh, but, you know, I've been out of it for about four days, going on five days. To, so to go back into it is going to take discipline. Because I've, I've got used to sleeping in a little bit and not having to get up early and not having to sweat and, you know, all of those things. Well, it, it's the same way spiritually. If we will apply these things to our lives and, and do it with discipline, you have to do it with discipline. Even when your flesh will tell you, oh, uh, don't, don't go do that. You, it helps you through every situation that you have and that you'll face. Now, the first one in these seven spiritual disciplines is prayer. Um, you know, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, it's a very familiar passage of scripture, but he says here to be anxious for nothing. Some translations say, don't worry about anything or don't be worrious about anything or fretful, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, which we'll talk about a little later down the, the list, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Now notice when he says in the very beginning, right off the bat to not be fearful. And when you look at what's going on, in the world today, uh, when you look at what we have going on in um, Israel, in Gaza, uh, the Red Sea, when you look at what's going on with China, possibly uh, attacking Taiwan, uh, you know, you look at all that, then you look at our southern border and all the things that are going on here in our own backyard. Uh, you know, they're talking about other diseases and different things and you know, all of these things going on, if, if you're not grounded and rooted in God's word, it can cause you to become anxious and, in, and live in fear and get you out of what God wants to, uh, for you to have or what he wants you to see. So right off the bat, he says to be anxious for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, every situation you face, you should pray about. Now, some people want to take that to the extremes, I guess you would say, uh, you know, common sense things you don't need to pray about. You, you don't need to pray when you get up in the morning, Lord, should I brush my teeth? No, your breath stinks. Brush your teeth. You got morning breath. You don't have to pray about that. Lord, Lord, should I, should I, uh, you know, put these shoes on today? No, but in every decision of your life, you know, the decisions that not only just affect you, but your, your spouse or your children, those around you, you know, it's just like with me being the pastor here at Glenning Mission, the decisions I make for the church, I pray about those decisions and I hear the voice of God. Why? Because it's his church and I want to make sure that the decisions I make are right. Why? Because they affect not just me, but each and every family and person that comes to Glennon Mission. So with those decisions, I seek God in prayer. And I believe that you should do those things, you know, when it comes to uh, investing money, uh, the way you spend money and things like that. You should pray about those things. You know, um, God would give us insight. And he said, though, when you do that, also, don't just ask, but but also you do it in prayer, but you also do it in thanks with thanksgiving. You know, a lot of people like to come and use prayer, you know, as a uh, kind of like, you know, it, it's a it's a, um, a monologue. They just come in and run in real fast and Lord, I'm busy, but here's my list of needs I have. And I thank you for taking care of them. And boom, I'm out. Got to go. You know, and I, I've always, I've asked this question before, you know, if you would go home and you would be like, you know, uh, sit down with your wife and when you sit down with her, uh, all she does is just talks about everything that's going on with her and, you know, she just keeps on talking, keeps on talking, keeps on talking and then all of a sudden she says, okay, I'm gone, I'm not staying here tonight, I gotta go by and she leaves. Or vice versa, if it was the husband. Either way. But anytime you would do things like that, it would make you not want to do for them, but it would also make you question their relationship with you. Um, and it's the same way with God. A lot of people, we get too busy to spend time with God. So the only time we spend time with God in prayer is when we have our needs list. You know, it's kind of like a Christmas list. You know, you, prayer is not just for needs. It's not just for wants. It's not just for emergencies. You know, it's not a uh, in case of emergency break glass and you, you got a prayer shawl you pull out of a, a, a glass and you, you know. Prayer is, is it's a dialogue. It, it's between me and the Father talking. And when you do it this way, when you, you you don't have fear, don't be anxious. You do it with prayer. You go to in everything with prayer and with thanksgiving. With that done, you let your request, which is your needs, be made known to God. When you do it that way, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
through Jesus Christ. So when we do it the right way, God will give us peace that it passes all understanding. When, it, when everything looks bad, we'll still be at peace. Why? Because he's, the peace of God guards my heart and my mind because of the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the finished work of Jesus that makes my prayers reach heaven, that makes me have a relationship with the Father so that he does hear my prayer. And, you know, with everything that's going on, we need our hearts and our minds guarded now more than ever, you know, but prayer, it's, it's our, it's, uh, you know, they used to sing an old Southern gospel song. Some of y'all will probably remember this, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want, you know, is you can call them up, you know, and tell them what you want. But prayer, it is, it's our direct line to the father. It's our direct line to talk to the father, to communicate, you know, and, when we do that, you know, it, it's, it's a place where, you know, some people, uh, I, I, when I pray now, if I'm praying in public in front of people, I, I do more of a, a formal prayer type prayer, but there's a lot of times where I just talk with God. I may be driving down the road and I talk to him like I'm talking to you guys that are watching right now. Why? Because he knows me. He knows about me, he, you know, I'm not going to try to be something different than what he's created me to be. And I think a lot of times people just get into this mindset, this rut of, well, I have to, I have to kneel and I have to pray for at least this amount of time. And, you know, I, they get so caught up in the things, oh, I got to do all of this to pray, you know, that they get frustrated with it and don't when all it is, it's communication, you know, and it's us acknowledging that there's things in our life that we need changed, that we can't do it on our own, and he's the only one that can change it. So why would I not pray? You know, but again, your prayer life should not just be when you're going to him with your needs list. You know, kind of like uh, when you write out a grocery list to go to the grocery store, all these items, you've got to get them when you go to the store. You rush in, you get them, and you rush out, and you go home. We don't go to God with a list like that because then all we're doing is we're just using him, you know, and I'm sure every one of you watching online at some point in time, you've been used in life before. People have took advantage of you, maybe a, a skill set you had or, uh, you know, maybe something you did or done for them. They knew you would help, but they used you. And, you know, it don't, it don't feel good when you get used. You know, when somebody uh, uses you and then and runs away. And you, if you know how bad that feels, how do you think it makes the Father feel when all we do is run to him for our list and then we get what we want and then we leave? You know, so we need to be able to spend time with him and we do that through prayer. And, and you need to be in a habit of praying, not just every once in a while, but praying every day. You know, praying, it, there's almost, and most of you are probably like this, there's probably not, maybe, if anything, maybe one day of the week, maybe two at the absolute max, that I don't text or call or go by and visit my mom and dad. 
Why? Well, they're my earthly parents. I love them. I respect them. I want to spend time with them. Well, we should do that the same way with our father. And they want to see me. They, they are excited when I come over and, and want to see them. You know, well, it's the same way with our father. He is excited. He wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. So, you know, you don't have to, uh, oh, I got to go pray. And, you know, when you're on your way home from work, man, in the vehicle, that's the perfect time, I think, to just begin to talk with God and pray. Some people, well, you got to close your eyes. No, the Bible says watch and pray. You can pray with your eyes open. You'll be okay. But, you know, we have to understand that when we go to God with request, if we're spending time with him in prayer, he knows our voice. But the other thing is, is you don't just go, like I said, and, and rattle off this long list of twice as much and you don't speak as much as you listen. It's more important. Well, it's the same way spiritually. There's times when we pray and we seek God, we get frustrated. Well, he's not giving me an answer. He's not giving me direction. But have you stopped during your prayer time to listen? What is he saying inside your spirit? What do you feel here? The leading of the spirit? You know, so make sure that you do that. But when you pray and you get into that discipline of spending time with him, I believe that's when you can really come into the true understanding of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Well, how can you come boldly to a throne that you don't visit often? You know, how, how do you know that you have that access you, you know, so you want to make sure that you're spending time with him and that you're familiar with that throne. You're familiar with, with prayer and your communication with God. So those are things that I believe uh, you, you want to get in that discipline, that routine. Spend time every day. Um, it could be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You can pray 30. You can pray an hour. It's up to you. But just try to get in the habit of spending at least a minimum, a minimum, what's five minutes, you know, of prayer, time in prayer, you know, and sometimes it's not that you, well, I don't need anything. What? I don't always need anything either, but there's times I'll just be driving down the road or at home and I'll say, God, I just want to tell you how much I love you. God, I thank you for being so good to me and, and, and saving my life and, and putting this call on me in the ministry. God, thank you for blessing this ministry and growing it. What is that? That's just me going to him with Thanksgiving, you know, but we're still in that communication, you know? So I believe that it's important that we do that and that we understand that it, it, when we create it into a discipline and, and it becomes a habit that you'll, you'll watch your prayer life change. You'll watch it begin to shift to where, it's not becoming, oh, God, I got to do it. It's I can't wait to do it. I, I'm going to spend time with my father, you know. So I believe that prayer is a very vital part of a spiritual discipline in these last days that will help navigate you through these troublesome times, uh, the things you see on uh, the news, 
all the noise that's going on in our lives. Prayer will help isolate the noises so that you can hear the voice of God speak. The second one in these uh, disciplines is, is the Bible. And I've had a lot of people tell me, and I went through a time in my life, I didn't like to read. I, I didn't want to read. I would start to read, and no sooner than I started to read, my mind would be wandered off in 9,000 different directions. The least little thing would distract me, um, you know, and I would get frustrated. But as I begin to make myself, no, you're going to get in a quiet place. You're going to read the Word. I found myself, the Bible become more than just a book. It's what the Bible says it is. It's the living Word of God. Just because it's a leather-bound book or a hardback book that has printed page and it, it's binded together, it's not. It, that is a living, breathing document. It's the Word of God. It's the heart of God. It's the will of God. It's everything about who He is pinned down so that you and I could know the greatness, the height, the, the depth of who He is. And I, I still, even if we study it from here till eternity, don't know if we'll fully ever grasp who and how awesome God really is. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says here, the study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, a lot of people want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, says, well, see, that, that's talking about, when it says workmen, that's talking about the, the laity. You know, that's talking about pastors and preachers, teachers, and prophets, evangelists. No, it's talking about everybody. And I believe one of the things that people are looking for today, matter of fact, I was talking to a gentleman earlier today, people even that, that, um, don't want to serve God or don't want to deal with church. People are looking for a truth. They're looking for the truth um, because they're beginning to see all of these falsities, all of this uh, junk that has been pushed out at us through mainstream media, through Hollywood, all of these things, you know, all this stuff's going on they're beginning to go, you know, th this stuff is not making sense. Th this is not right. Th this is not true. So they're looking for the truth. And I believe that when we as Christians can rightly divide the word, then we can come or go to these people because either you go into them or they're going to come to you. At some point in your walk, people are going to begin to ask you, what does the Bible mean here? What does God say here? What does God say about this? What is God's heart on this? What does he think about this? How should I handle this? And if you have studied the word, if you know this book, then you have rightly divided the truth that's in it, and you can share that truth with the people around you. Because if you look at the world, we are bombarded by social media, we're bombarded by text messages, we're bombarded by uh, phone calls, 
you know, the social media stuff is just, it's out of control, been out of control. You know, one of the sad things is, is like the, they've created, you know, you're familiar with TikTok. Uh, Well, TikTok is the average, what is it, Josh? 30 second videos to a minute. Yeah, that's correct. So it, it went crazy in the younger generation, but what, you know, and everyone's like, well, that's cool. And I've got on it and looked at it, you know, and it, it, it's neat. You just, you watch a little 30-second clip, and there is pros to it, but there's also cons. What's the cons? The con is that now we've created people with mindsets that they can't listen to any one person or anything for longer than 30 seconds, and they're ready to move to the next. You know, and you can look at, um, you know, I mean, there are pros about it. You, you, we can take a 30-second clip of some of our podcasts and our sermons, and we can get a 30-second clip out there that says something very profound because there are some people, they're not going to listen to an hour-long podcast or an hour-long sermon. They, they want something quick. So there are pros to it to where we're getting, you know, uh, the word of God out there. But like I say, that I don't know that the pros outweigh the cons because we've got people in a mindset of they want to just hear it exactly. They don't want to have to search for it. You know, and I've found there's been times I've, I've really wanted to hear what a minister said about one thing, but because it wasn't easy to find, I had to listen to the whole message again. But what did I find out? I, I was enlightened to even more. I was opened up to even more than when I heard it the first time, you know, and look at what our news media is saying, you know, uh, Josh was telling me, but right before the podcast, uh, wasn't it Rasmussen, uh, a polling data company, they've got Biden at, uh, on the polling for president. They got him at what? 40, 46%. So they're saying that he's at 46% favorability for the, uh, winning the presidency. Well, anybody with one eye and half cent knows that that's not true. You know what? Because it's not the truth. And people are beginning to see these things, you know, um, like I talked about earlier with the, with our border crisis, you know, we've got, they've got voice recording. They've got actual video of Biden saying that, you know, uh, that, back in uh, 2016 and before, and even in 2020, that the border needed to be shut down and you had to to do it certain ways and we had to look out for our our country and the Americans. But yet now we have him blatantly leaving our borders open for all of these terrorists and things to come across the border. And now he's going back and Mayorkas, excuse me, has said, you know, well, we can't just shut the border down. We have to have congressional approval. Well, if you have to have it, that's fine. Go get it. But you also are supposed to have congressional approval before you go and attack uh, Iran or something in war, but you hadn't sought for that. So you see that with the media and with our government, they're not rightly dividing the truth. And you're seeing that they have a set of rules for them or laws for them, and they have a set for us. And people are waking up to that. And people are going, you know, I need to know what's right. 
Well, how are they going to know what's right unless those of us that are seeking the God, that are spending time in prayer, <coughs> reading our Bible, and beginning to rightly divide the word, then we can give them answers and they go, oh, oh, I see that. Okay. You know, so we have to understand that the media and social media, all these things out here, they're giving everybody answers. You know, I can remember, uh, and many of you probably will, uh, Oprah Winfrey used to have her uh, talk show. And I remember one specifically, they had these two doctors, uh, women doctors, and I'm not knocking women doctors, but I question that these were really doctors. I'm pretty sure they were women. Maybe not. I don't know. But I don't think we dealt much with that back then. But anyway, they were literally giving 15 reasons or 15 signs of how you could tell if your man was cheating on you. So you got this audience full of women, and then you got all these women at home that are watching these two doctors, supposed doctors, tell them, here's 15 signs that your husband's cheating on you. So one of the signs, and this is how crazy it was, one of the signs was if your husband comes home and normally hangs his coat up, but he throws it over the chair, he's cheating on you. And they went into this long explanation, but, but my point with that is, you see, because people are not grounded in the word and they're just going off of what everybody else is saying, now wonder how many men got in trouble when they got home from work because they did one of these 15 signs that has nothing at all to do with if he's cheating on them or not. You know, so I said that, you know, some of well, what's that got? It's because people are so used to looking to the world. They're so used to looking to media for answers, but now they're seeing that, wait a minute, media don't have a clue what they're talking about. You know, they, they don't know. They're beginning to turn back the church and say, wait a minute, what should I do about this? So we don't want to be the Christian and many of you, I've talked about this before, but you don't want to be one of those Christians that misquote scriptures all the time and you'll take the first half of this verse and the middle part of this verse and the end of this one over here and put them all together and say, well, this is what God is saying. No, you're confusing people. Why? Because you, you've not rightly divided the word. But when you can, what you'll find out if you can rightly divide the word is God will send people to you. That part of you will draw people to you. Why? Because when you rightly divide the word, when you understand the Bible, it, it brings a, it's not a, some people will say it, well, you're cocky. No, it brings a confidence. The more I know of what God's word says, the more squared back my shoulders are, the higher my head is. Why? Because no matter what's going on in my life, I know I've rightly divided the word, and I know that the Bible says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I know that the Bible says that with God all things are possible. You know, so when I know these things about the word, I know that, wait a minute, I don't care what's going on, I'm all right. I am in Christ. I'm a new creature, and he's going to protect me and take care of me. 
So you want to make sure that you rightly divide the word. There's a lot of, there's even preachers out there. Um, I don't know what denomination this guy was, and I, I didn't quite have time to, to find out more about him. But there's actually a video on X of a minister. He's got on a white robe and some green and gold prayer shawl thing. Uh, not knocking that, but I just think that's a little unnecessary. But he's, he's not even standing up to preach. I mean, he's an older guy. He's overweight. So he's sitting down in a chair, and he's babbling off of some piece of paper he's got. <clears throat> But he said out of his own mouth, I mean, I heard it on the video, he said out of his own mouth that Moses did not really see a burning bush. There was not really a burning bush. That what that was was it was an example. It was a figurative. It was all figurative, and it was just showing the inward burning that God done on the inside of Moses to get the sin out of his life so he could lead the people that it didn't really happen, you know, and, and I don't know how full the church was. Hopefully there wasn't nobody there. Um, but you see, irregardless if that, how many people was there, how many people think that, man, this, this minister's really got it. This minister, uh, he seems to know the word, but see, he's not rightly dividing it. He's falsely dividing it. So now everybody's going with well, the Bible, the written word of God, or is this just a bunch of fables and stories that, you know, supposed to make us live better. <clears throat> There's a lot of that going on, and a lot of people's going, yeah, no, wait a minute. We, we need the truth. What is the truth? So you need to read the Word every day. You say, I'm busy. Well, you know, we, we've got to get to a place in our life, and this is hard for some people to understand, but we've got to get to a place in life where busy you know, you can be busy at unnecessary stuff. You know, some people just like to be busy for the sake of being busy because they want people to think, oh, they got it rough. Oh, they're just, they've got so much on them. Uh, you know, hey, I know some people do in life's life. But when you get too busy to pray and you get too busy to read the Bible, it's time to start looking at your life and going, okay, I got to cut something out and I got to slow something down because I have to have the word of God in my life. I have to be able to read his word, you know, and I believe those things are very important. There again, I know some people, you don't like to read. Listen, there's apps on your phones now where you can play the Bible and you have, uh, you know, different people that, that voices that are good to listen to. I think they even got Morgan Freeman reading the Bible. I mean, who wouldn't want to listen to Morgan Freeman read the Bible? You know, but you can actually play the Bible in the version, whatever version you want, and somebody's reading it for you. You're still getting the word. But one of the ways I, I look at this is if you're a grown man and a grown woman, don't come to me and say, well, I just don't like to read. <clears throat> well, wham, grow up. You're going to have to. I, we don't like to work either, but, hey, we got to. You know, I, I can't read. Wait, you need to learn You need to learn to read. It's very important that you read the Bible. You ain't got to read no other books. Read the Bible. But you can start with those apps that read it for you, you know. And if you do like to read or can read, start reading five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, thirty minutes a day. 
and and let it increase, you know, until you when when that Bible becomes living and breathing to you, it becomes life when you look at those pages, it changes the way you read and it changes your desire to read. You know, and I watched that happen in my life. I watched that book become more than just a Bible that I study in so I can preach to, oh my gosh, this is a living, breathing word. When I open it, life is before me, you know, so you get excited to read it because every time I read it, I'm learning something new about what God wants for my life. So, you know, prayer number one, reading the Bible, reading the word number two, number three is community or fellowship. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as it is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day, the day approaching. What does that mean? He's talking about the end times, the day of the coming of the Lord. And we know if the Lord's day is soon, the coming of him, the rapture is even closer. So it's very important that you don't try to be a long range Christian. And we have to get out of the mindset. You know, any of you that go to church here, you know this, but some of you that may be watching this, that, um, that you, you don't go to church here. We're at a point in time that you, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive and be successful in this world, prosperous in this world, walking in hell. You're not going to walk in the health. You're not going to walk in any of the promises of God if all you're doing is one Sunday morning service and you think, well, that's all I need. You're going to start finding out in your life that you're not. That's not enough. And that's why that community, church family, is important. We have one another. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. When we get together, we're building each other up by being together, talking together, communing together. You know, one of the things we're going to start doing at the church this year is every other month, I think it's on like the fourth Sunday night, we're going to begin to do a, a fellowship where we're not doing preaching, but we're just breaking bread together, having a meal together as a church. Why? It's just time to fellowship, you know, and, and, and get to know each other and what's your desires, what's your likes, what are you fit facing now, what are you going through? It's being in a, a good environment to build each other up, to exhort each other. So, you know, there's a lot of distractions out there to get us away from church. And I'm not saying at all, you, 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 you can't, oh, you can't, if I go to church, I can't ever miss. Yes, you can miss. There's vacation. Some people you have to work, you know, uh, these emergency situations come up. Those things are fine. But when you start putting other things that are unnecessary and, you know, the world's going to give you all these reasons. Well, you know, this is, and I got this, and, you know, I got to do this, and I got to, and God is sitting here going, yeah, but what about me? Well, God, I seen you this morning. Yeah, but your life's falling apart. You got all these things going on, and you're frustrated at God because he didn't fix your problems. He's not answering your prayers, but you're not praying. 
all the time. You're not studying the word and you're not in his house except for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And you want him to change your life. You know, we have to understand that, you know, I think the most growth in our life happens is, is in church, a good Bible based church, but Bible believing church. And when you begin to connect with each other in the church, uh, sometimes your, your side groups, I guess you'd call it. Some people call them, uh, yeah, something like that. Um, you know, that sometimes those things get off and, and, and can get out. But when you have like, you know, uh, we have a Tuesday morning Bible study. That's a community of this church. And we, we discuss uh, current events, what's going on. We have a little Bible study. We have a really good breakfast. Uh, but we have prayer requests and praise reports. And we, we all get together and get on our face before God and we pray. And we have seen God do absolute miracles in people's life because that small community happens every Tuesday morning and we pray and we seek God and we get results, you know, but that fellowship, you know, uh, what we have a women's group, we have a youth group, these different things. And when we're being taught, that's where the most growth I believe comes is, is more of that fellowship and that one-on-one, -on -one, that camaraderie, because you begin to know people other than just passing them, by on the, the pew on Sunday morning and nodding at them, you know. So make sure, especially in these last days, because the Bible says that in the end time, if possible, even the elect will be deceived. Make sure that you're not being deceived. It can look good. You know, uh, some of you know John Revere. He done a great teaching, uh, which is something I'm, I need. I want to get back into and re uh, restudy that whole series. But he done a series on good or God. In other words, there's things that look good, and they are good in a sense. They're they're not bad things, but when you look at those things that look good, sound good. And in reality, are good. There's nothing wrong with them. If they take you away from God or out of his house on a consistent basis, now they're not good. They're a sin. Because what? It's something that Satan has baited you with because it looks good. It sounds good. Smells good. Everything's good about it. And we think, well, it's good. But no, it took you away from God. Anything that takes you away from God, you have now made a God over him. <laughs> you know, and God says, there'll be no other gods before me. So there's a very fine line, especially in these last days, about what you do with your time. And I'm one of them. I know I'm the pastor, and yeah, I want the church full, but I know people have life, and I know there's things going on, and, you know, uh, all these different uh, activities that can happen, but make sure that you're spending time with God and with your brothers and sisters in the body. You know, you need to learn to like them down here because you're going to spend eternity with them in heaven. And the best way to learn to like them here is that community and fellowship. It's being in the house of God. And I know I've said before, you know, you can, they have those apps on your TV where you can, 
make it uh, emulate a, a fire and it'll pop and crack and it looks good. It looks like a fire, but it ain't the, the warmth of it ain't there. You know, it's not the same. And that's why I say people can watch our services online and there's nothing wrong with that, but don't watch it online and expect to get the same results. If you could have been there, but you just, well, my, my pinky toes hurting. I'm going to stay at home and watch it online. You're not going to get the same results. You know, it's not the same as being in the house. You know, yeah, God can move on you. God can touch you. But it's still not the same as actually being in the house. So make sure as you're assessing these things that you're disciplining <laughs> yourself. And it, I think it's at utmost important that you teach your children God comes first. You know, we want to teach our children that God comes first in our finances. You know, we, we want to teach our children tithing. We want to teach our children that, that you know, God's report over the doctor's report comes first. You know, we sing the song, whose report? Well, we believe. We'll believe the report of the Lord. We want to teach that God's first in all of that, but yet, wait a minute. Now you can go do this on, you can go do that. You can go do this and they're not in the God's house. So we're not really teaching them God's first. We have to teach them that God's first in everything. And when you put him first, then everything else you do, you'll excel at. Why? Because when you put God first, he makes you first. He opens up doors for you. You know, I want my children knowing, look, I'll support you in anything you want to do. But when it comes to God and God's house, that is first. That takes priority over everything else in your life. And some people say, well, yeah, but how did that work? It worked great for me. You know, uh, my daughter, she's, God's been doing so much stuff with her and her, her work and her field that she's in. My son's excelling. I'm not bragging on us and I'm, I, I'm not, bra I'm bragging on when you let your children know. Now, have my kids been perfect? Absolutely not. All of this gray hair on my head and then this beard right here is because of both of my kids. But my kids knew God first, his house first. I've had to get on to them, even though they're grown. But they understand when you put God first and they're seeing it, you will begin to excel in every area of your life. So now that they see it, I'll expect them to teach their children. God first, God's house first, put him first. What you make happen for God, he'll make happen for you. Now I'm going to move on from that one because our, our time is, we're running tight. But the fourth one is worship. Now I could probably do a whole segment on worship, but we have to understand with worship that when you come into the church, you need to be in a mindset that everybody around you does not matter you're here to worship God. A lot of churches, they treat worship as a, and praising worship as the prelude to the preaching. That, you know, we got to do this. This is preliminary. Let's, let's do this to wake them up and get people excited. And, oh, look, here comes the preacher, you know. And you're going, wait a minute. You're saying that worship is more important than preaching? Well, in my opinion, it is, and I'm a preacher. But I'm a worshiper first. If Adam would have never sinned, if man would have never sinned, we'd have never needed a preacher. 
but worship was going on way before Adam was ever created, and it will be going on way after this earth is gone. So it is important, but not only in the church, you need to be able to incorporate worship into your daily routine. I talked about on the way home from work, you know, to pray. You know, don't read your Bible on the way home from work unless you're sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, but you can turn on worship music, find you some worship music you like, some praise music, and begin to praise and worship God. You know, spend some time there because worship creates atmospheres. It creates an atmosphere that is conducive for miracles to happen and for God to begin to speak to you because worship is is intimacy with God. You know, so that's where you get into that close space, just you and him, and he can begin to minister to you. So worship is something, you know, I, I have it playing a lot of times just in the house. I'm doing all kind of stuff. You know, I'm not necessarily singing, but somebody in that worship music singing. But you find it creates an atmosphere of peace in your home, you know, and in the, in the day we live in, you, you need to have a household of peace, a household that is at peace and is at comfort and at rest. Why? Because you find you sleep better, you rest better, you feel better. And that all comes with creating an atmosphere of worship. The, the fifth one <clears throat> is evangelism. And I know a lot of people don't, well, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. Well, this is also talking about sharing your testimony, you know, and second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but he says here that we are ambassadors of Christ. Well, what is an ambassador? It's a spokesperson. You know, the United States <clears throat> has ambassadors all over the world in other countries representing our country. So when the ambassador speaks, it's the same as the president speaking, you know, now with the president we currently have, you could have a toddler jibber jabber and it would be the same thing, but that's just a little side joke. But what you realize is, is when an ambassador speaks, they're speaking on behalf of the president. When we speak here on the earth, we're speaking on behalf or in representation in place of God himself. You don't have to go around and be able to, you know, a lot of people, well, that, do you mean I got to be able to preach like you? No. I don't, I don't want anybody to preach like me, you know, because if you preach like me, then you're just going to be second best. You know, preach like you. Preach your story how God ministered to you. And the Bible says that we've overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Your testimony is you evangelizing and you don't start. Some people evangelize. You mean I got to go to a third world country? No, your neighborhood start there, start at your workplace. You know, that's your beginning in evangelizing is doing it with your realm of influence, a circle of people that you you interact with on a daily basis, be able to share the word with them, minister to them, you know, and tell people what God's done for you. Don't be ashamed of it. And that goes back to your evangelism is that discipline comes in and you get more comfortable with it. If you go back to the second discipline, which was the Bible and learning to rightly divide, you have to study 
and rightly divide so that you won't be ashamed. You know, there's a lot of people, I'm ashamed, I'm nervous to, to share my testimony. But when you begin to do it and you study the word, you can't help but share it. And then when you see it change, that first person's life that you share and you see it change, oh, it's, it, it's, it's almost like an addiction. Who can I share it with next? Because what? When you see that it changed their life, now you want to tell it to somebody else. And then your ministry, your testimony, your evangelizing begins to grow. You know, find ministries uh, like, you know, the church. We, we minister, we support uh, uh, James Jacob, a missionary for India. You know, we send them monthly support and have for many, many years. Um, you know, that's evangelist. We're, I'm not going out in those countries and evangelizing, but I'm sending my money so that the people there can evangelize. And you see, it's something as simple as that. When you get to heaven, if you supported these uh, traveling evangelists that go into all the world, if you've given them money, you're going to be amazed when you get to heaven and there's going to be people of all different ethn ethnicities and skin colors, and they're going to be coming up to you saying, thank you for giving into the kingdom. And you're going, what? And you, they'll be like, because you gave to so-and-so, they come to our village or our country and preach the gospel, and I accepted Jesus. You see, you still get credit for that. So the biggest thing is I challenge everybody, and I'm challenging each of you tonight, find one person. Don't look for five don't look for 10, don't look for 1,000. Focus on changing one person's life this year for Jesus. Focus on say getting one person saved, just one. Well, I want to get a bunch saved. Well, we all do, but you have to start with one. I don't know what minister coined the phrase or started with it, but each one reach one. And if you think about the simplicity of that, if I reach one and then that one reaches one and that it just keeps snowballing until there's a, almost a, a landslide of salvations happening. Just why? Because I reached the one focus on the one and the many will come because it's a one at a time thing. Focus on one, you know, but learn to share your, your testimony. You say, oh, I'm not good at talking in front of people. Look, practice in the in front of the mirror in your bathroom if that makes you feel better. You know, learn your testimony, how to share it, how to make it make sense, you know, and have scriptures that go with it. Those things will help, but you'll begin to see, like you say, when you share your testimony, it blesses you, but it's changing somebody else's life because you shared what God has done for you. And that one person you change maybe nobody else could have reached. God has people in your path every day that you can be a witness to. So make sure that you try, get in a, in a discipline of trying to, to share the word. I'm not saying cram it down people's throat. You know, don't make it annoying. But when the opportunity opens itself up that you're right there and you can rightly divide the word and give them the answers they're looking for. The number six one is service and volunteering. A lot of Christians are consumers, but not contributors, you know, because a lot of people come into a church that, and they think, well, man, this is running so good. This is, 
man, this is like a well-oiled machine, but they don't see the backside of it where there's five people doing a hundred jobs. And what happens is, is eventually those five people get burnt out, you know, and they're like, well, how do you get burnt out for Jesus? Well, you can get burnt out doing some of this stuff because other people are going, well, I, they've got it covered. I don't need this. You know, make sure that you volunteer. You know, I, I like to push if you have a kid in church that comes to a church, then at least one Sunday you need to work in the children's department. One of the classes, you don't have to be the main teacher. You can be an assistant but work with those to give other people a chance to sit in the service, you know, to be out here where God, they can be ministered to on an adult level and not having to constantly be ministering to children, you know, learn a, a trade. You know, we, we, we like people to help with lights, with video, with, um, our PowerPoint presentation, you know, all of these different departments, we need workers, we need volunteers. So always be able to go in and what can I help with? You know, and it might not be that you have to do it every Sunday. You might do something once a quarter, you know, but an usher, you know, being a greeter at the door when services start, all of those things, make it a discipline to get in and help because every area you help with begins to make what we do as a whole in the church even easier because the more people that's pushing, you know, the vision, the easier it is to get done. And the last one, number seven, and I believe this is a very important one, is tithing and giving. We live in a world where everybody's trying to get something from you, and a lot of people want to help with a lot of things, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, we don't want to give. You know, I've always been amazed at why uh, big companies, I mean, like the Red Cross and some of these companies, uh, their, their presidents can make hundreds of thousands of dollars salaries a year. But if a preacher makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, oh my God, they just robbing the people, you know, but it's okay that you give a pint of blood to the Red Cross, but his, the, the CEO of Red Cross is making half a million dollars a year. Where, where's the difference? You know, we have to get in a place, and it, it, Josh made this point Sunday that was, I thought was really good. Once you give that money, your obligation is to give. Your obligation is not to worry about what's done with the money after you give it. If God said give it to the church, that's what you're held accountable for. The church is going to be held accountable. Me as the pastor will be held accountable for how was that money spent? See, it takes all the weight and pressure off of you. You don't have to worry about it a bit. God said to bring money into the storehouse. So that's what you do. I'm the one that's held accountable for how the storehouse was run, how it was kept up. So that takes that off of you. But you see, you have to understand to get into the blessings of God, which he wants you to have, especially in this time, you have to be a tither. You have to be a giver. You say, what What do you mean? Well, look in, and this one preacher made this uh, <coughs> statement, and I thought this was real good, but he said there's two different seas in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee, and then there's the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee has, is thriving with life. There's all different kinds of life in it. They, the, That's where all your fishermen work out of, and 
and you know, and then there's a lot of livestock that come and feed, draw water out of that, that uh, sea. But then you have the Dead Sea, and it's lifeless. There's no life in it. It's just full of salt, and there's nothing to it. Why is that? Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, has an entrance, but it also has an exit. Water is continually flowing through it. The Dead Sea, water comes into it, but there's no outlet. So it becomes stagnant. And you see, you have to learn that money in your hand, if it comes to you and you hold on to it, it becomes stagnant. But if money comes to you or blessings come to you and you turn and you let it flow out the other way as blessings to somebody else, then you begin to see your life flourishing, being full of life, and that you yourself will draw people into you as a reservoir for help in a time of need. So I believe these seven things, if you'll do these as a discipline, number one is prayer. Number two is study the Bible, study, 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 study. And then after you've got done with all that study, study it some more, you know. And then um, the third one is the community and fellowship. Get in church, quit making excuses of why you need to be out of church, we're living in a day and time where if you're not in his house and growing in his word, you're going to find yourself frustrated. You're going to be mad at God and mad at the church because, well, it ain't working, but all you're doing is coming one, an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday morning, and you're expecting God and the church to change your life. It's not going to work in the day and time we live in. God is requiring more. And you say, well, that ain't fair. Fair is not in the Bible. It's just and it's right. God is a holy God and he deserves more than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. He's the holy one. He deserves that time. So community and fellowship, number three, worship, very vital. Make sure you set that atmosphere in your home with worship music, in your car. Watch it begin to change how your outlook on a day is because you spent time in worship. Number five, is sharing your testimony, supporting evangelism to get the gospel out. Because Jesus, when he talked about the disciples, said, what's the signs of, the, of your second coming? And he went through wars, rumors of wars, and all those different things. He said, the end is not yet. But he said, when the gospel has been preached to all parts of the earth, then the coming of the Son of Man. Beyond supporting evangelism and trying to win the lost, those that are around us that are hurting and broken. Number six is make sure to plug into a church. Volunteer. Get in and try to help somewhere in a church. You can meet with the pa your pastor. You can meet with the associate pastor of your church, uh, some of the leaders, and say, you know, I, I want to help. And then we can sit and have a conversation of what some things you like, what are you good at, what do you want to try to get involved with. We can help find places for you to work, and it makes that load on the few that do a lot easier when we're all pushing the vision forward together. And number seven is <clears throat> tithing and giving. You've got to be connected to God's kingdom and his finances because when this world's economy crashes and it's coming, if you're connected to the kingdom as a tither and a giver, this world's economy will not affect you at the least. We refuse to operate 
in the world's economy and its recession. Why? Because in the God's kingdom, recession is not even a word. He has an abundance and what's his is ours. So I believe that if we take these seven principles and we make our disciplines and spiritual disciplines and we begin to work these out in our life on a daily basis, I believe that you'll begin to see not decrease, but increase in your life in every area. And I believe that as trouble comes, uh, all the chaos that's going on in the world, you'll have that note of victory on the inside saying, no matter what happens, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Well, guys, we're out of time. Great crowd tonight. Thank you for watching. Do us a favor, hit that like button, or if you listen to it and you don't like it, hit the dislike button. Just interact with us to let us know what your thoughts are. And do us another favor and share this on your social media platform. There's people in your life that need to hear what was said tonight, and it will change their life. And see, that's part of you being an evangelist or evangelizing, sharing your testimony. All you got to do is click that button. When you share it to your social media, you just evangelize to your friends on your social media account, but I'm the one that done the preaching. But if they accept Christ, you get the reward and the increase. How awesome is that? So all you got to do is share it, help get the gospel out to a dying and a hurting world. Guys, thanks again. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.